Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Happy Self Podcast, where we talk happiness from both a professional and a personal point of view. I'm Tracy Fox, your host, and you can find out more about me at my website, tracyfox.net. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Phil Markowski, co-founder of Two Roads Brewery. So yes, we're talking beer, and not just any beer, but quite honestly, one of the most delicious and prestigious beers in the craft brew market. We're going to look at the taste of it, the history of it, and even the business behind it. And we're also going to dive into the Two Roads philosophy of following your heart and taking the road less traveled. Phil is an award-winning brewmaster with over 27 years of experience and many medals to his name from both regional and international competitions. He uses that expertise to bring us unique twists on classic styles of beer. Phil started Two Roads Brewery with three friends back in 2012, and we are very grateful that he's our guest today on the Happy Self Podcast. Okay, so Phil, I have to imagine that everyone listening thinks you have the dream job. I mean, if you ask somebody what is the dream job, they're going to say, get together with three friends and start a brewery. So the, the question is, is it the dream job? And what have both been kind of the highs and the lows of having your own company? Well, uh, yes, brewing for a living is definitely a dream job, in my opinion. And, you know, although it's something I've been doing for over 30 years professionally, um, you know, the thrill hasn't worn off. And um, I remind myself periodically or even often how lucky I am to to be in a career that is also a passion for me. So it's I've been really fortunate and you know, there's there's definitely hard work involved, but there's a, a little bit of luck involved too as to how I got here. So uh, I don't ever um, forget that, remind myself of that frequently. It is it is great fun. Uh, I will say that uh, the novelty of, you know, having a free supply of beer does wear off <laughs> after a while. And, you know, part of the job is literally sometimes tasting beer at, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning um you know to decide whether it's good or not and uh you know thankfully after all these years i still um can't wait to get to the cup of coffee in those instances <laughs> of you know 8 a.m tastings but yeah. um you know it's part of the job you do remove yourself from the enjoyment of drinking beer to the enjoyment of brewing it and making sure it's up to snuff before it's it's released so it's I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else at this point, and I do consider myself very lucky to be a professional brewer. So for all the people out there who are in a job that they maybe want to switch, how did you make the leap from engineering over to, you know, taking beer professionally? Well, uh, the fact that I was in my mid-20s was a factor. You know, I was three, I was single. I um, you know, didn't stop to think about the implications of leaving a relatively safe, well-paying position and and brewing for, you know, bake, brewing beer for a living. It was really more like brewing beer for a living. Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. Of course. And I, I went right for that. And, you know, there've been times over the years where I thought, did I make the right decision? And very quickly, I, you know, I came back to, yes, I did. Because it, it just been, um, a fun business to be in. It's more fun now that craft brewing has taken off and become kind of a 
household thing. Everybody knows what craft beer is. Everybody knows what IPA is. So that wasn't the case when I first entered this business. It was in fact a hard sell to try to sell the beer locally and compete with imports and, and the like. Whereas now, um, you know, people seek out craft beers, particularly the local craft beers, which is the way it should be and the way it was uh, a long time ago. But, you know, to someone who's in a career that's less satisfying and uh, of course I would encourage those people to, to go to, you know, follow their heart if at all possible you know, if they have a family to support, they're jeopardizing their family's well-being, that's a different matter. But, you know, if somebody is relatively free and easy to make that transition to doing something they truly love and something that's really a passion, then I have nothing but encouragement. And if it helps, I'm, you know, living proof of that, of that mindset. Well, that's a perfect segue into uh, both the name of your company and the philosophy behind it, which is, of course, two roads and taking the road less traveled. Um, and that does harken back to the Robert Frost poem for those of us that remember it. So can you give us sort of the connection to that and the personal significance for you? Well, you know, I guess it goes back to a statement I just made earlier that, you know, although I was in my mid-20s, um, I did leave a well-paying position that was a safe career choice uh, and at a good trajectory in order to pursue something less typical brewing beer for a living and yes i was following a passion but i also liked the idea of breaking away from something conventional and typical and going to a um, unexpected or uncommon type of profession and you know, with with brewing beer for a living, there is there is, and for me, one of the most satisfying parts of the job is to walk through our tasting room, either you know in the middle of the workday, at the end of the workday, whatever it is. But as long as there are people assembled at the bar drinking the beer and enjoying it, that is to me the biggest job, you know, chunk of job satisfaction that I have, um, you know, on an almost daily basis. Well, I wanna transfer you over to my house because literally every Friday night I get a glass and I cover it with water and I put it in the freezer. And then I take my honey spot, which to me is a liquid nectar. <laughs> I pour it in that glass and it is the finest, you know, 10 minutes of my day as I drink it. And quite honestly, I have to beat off the rest of the family who keeps trying to take my stash. So um, I am a devotee. And what is the secret, if you want to give it away, a little bit of making such an amazing beer? Well, the, first of all, thank you, Tracy. I appreciate the, the the kind words on on Honey Spot and you know other Two Roads brands. Um, the secret of making good beer. I mean, there there are. I don't know if I even say there are secrets, but there's. You know, again, you've got to follow your passion, which you know, brewing is might appear to be like chemistry, like you're mixing things up according to a, you know, certain rules or certain, um, you know, predetermined amounts. But brewing really is like cooking. It's, it's putting together ingredients to, to form an end result. So when I conceive of a beer, it's kind of reverse engineering in a way, like I'll, I'll, I'll think of the final flavor I want and then work backwards from there to the brewing through the brewing process and to the ingredients choice. So 
you know, beer is is a food. You know, mm. Germans call it liquid bread. So and and you know, food spoils, food has a shelf life, and so does beer. And food has nutritional value, so does beer to some extent. Not always why we drink it, but it it is something that is made with care and attention and to sound melodramatic, love or risk sounding melodramatic. It's you know, if you love what you're doing, you're gonna put it your all into it. And in the case of crafting a particular beer, hopefully that that passion comes through in the final product to the consumer. Well, I never thought about it that way before. That's very powerful about it really being food. And I do think maybe that's why people are so fascinated and feel that they do have their own connection to craft brewery because people really, this, this is a trend that people are enamored with. Like, what is your take on that? Well, uh, you know, you had a surprise reaction to the statement beer is food. And in the U.S., maybe that wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. You know, when I when I came of age, um, there were no craft breweries. Or if there were, there was one or two and, you know, I never heard of them at the time. Um, you know, beer had been commoditized, if that's a word. It had become a commodity, something that was as light tasting and frankly bland as could possibly be. And there were a handful of competitors all making essentially the same product. So over the course of you know the post-prohibition era in the US, beer went from being a somewhat local thing. You know, my grandmother had stories of the local brewery and going to pick up, you know, pails of beer for her father. You know, that didn't exist when I was growing up. And from a lot of our experiences, that, that didn't exist. So beer kind of went in the US, it kind of went by the wayside or just became a a commodity and not something that was interesting. Right. And then craft breweries came along and people had their epiphanies with beer. Oh, I didn't know beer could be this, or I don't know beer could be like that and have flavor and be interesting and have sometimes really unusual ingredients in it. So what American craft brewers have done is on a local level, introduce people to, to craft beer and what its possibilities are. And, you know, add to that brewers in the US because we don't have a strong brewing tradition, we, we are more free to um, kind of take beer to different places or take beer to extremes. Whereas uh, a European who's part of a brewing tradition that's, you know, centuries old, isn't allowed to do that quite honestly. Hmm. Um, so craft brewing in the US has taken off more so than um, elsewhere in the world, but it is indeed everywhere in the world at this point. Um, you know, with two roads, we've traveled to different parts of the world. We've done um, collaborative brews in Peru, in Vietnam, in Ethiopia, you know, places you wouldn't associate with beer. And they have craft breweries in these countries. And when I entered brewing as a profession, the U.S., beer scene was the laughing stock of the brewing world, which was, you know, mostly Western Europe. And now um, those brewers look to the U.S. for inspiration. The U.S. craft brewer is influencing more so than anyone else in the world, you know, what is in vogue in beer these days. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, nobody heard of an IPA. It existed. It was a British style originally, but, but 
the U.S. craft brewers systematically, or not, I'm not even saying systematically, it wasn't like some grand plan, it just happened that way, have completely redefined what IPA is. And now it's, you know, if you do go to a craft brewery in, in Asia or Africa or, you know, some far-flung place of the world, not necessarily known for brewing tradition, there will be American style IPAs produced at those breweries as opposed to German lagers or, or Belgian Trappist ales because the, the U.S. craft brewing scene has, has become uh, so vibrant and thanks to the internet, the word spreads quickly and U.S. brewers in a generation have gone from, in my words, laughing stock to um, tastemaker and influencer. So it's quite a journey and it's still going strong. It really is. And so when I am out and about with friends and we're talking about beer, we are all sort of like, what's it made from again? Is it hops? Is it wheat? So for those of us who need more of an education, how are we going to get that? Do we come to your brewery? I mean, what are your, what advice would you give us who want to know more about how beer is made and what's in it? Well, well there's, there's lots and lots of stuff online and there are, you know, beginning type of beer books um, still to, in my mind um, a man who is probably the most responsible for how the U.S. craft brewery movement really took you know built steam and, and took off was uh, the late beer writer Michael Jackson. Um, he was British he was a journalist who then got uh, fixated on beer and wrote a couple of really influential books. Um, one of which is called The Beer Companion, which I would recommend for anyone who's truly interested in world beer styles. Uh, very well written and things are not, you know, in, things are in plain language. They're not in, you know, geeky verbiage, but, but in plain language. Uh, I can say though, traditionally beer is made from four main ingredients, which are water, malted barley, hops, and yeast. That's it. Those are the, the main four main ingredients. There, that said, there are endless ways to vary those ingredients. And there are quite a bit of variety within those main ingredients, but really it's water, malted barley, hops, and yeast. And that's it. That's going to make me the smart one at the dinner table next time. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So I heard that you are now in the hard seltzer market. So what was your thinking there? And how is your product different or better? Because there's a lot of them out there, I think, now. Uh, there are a lot of them out there. And uh, the hard seltzer market was, you know, was, was something that is only about five years old. But in that short span of time, and I'm being generous by saying five years old, it's maybe not even four, but um, in just a handful of years, hard seltzers have come to capture roughly 10% of the US beer market. Mm. Just phenomenal. And, you know, when we saw it early on, we, we've seen trends come and go, you know, over the years. Uh, besides myself, um, it, two of my three partners in Two Roads have been in, been in uh, the beer business for over 30 years. So, you know, gasp collectively we have close to 100 years of experience in the in the beer industry so we've seen a lot of uh 
beer-related trends come and go, and we kind of thought hard seltzer was going to be another one of those, but it clearly isn't. And uh, the moment that made me realize that this was a thing that was not going to go away anytime soon in a thing that had broader appeal than I imagined was a few years ago at, at, at our company holiday party, um, one of our most uh, self, one of our self-professed beer geeks and one of the, you know, most staunch craft beer fans that I've ever met um, brought a, snuck in a variety pack of White Claw Hard Seltzer <laughs> to our holiday party. Uh-huh. And it turns out he wasn't the only one. So, you know, the long and short of it was is, you know, it's it, it's not necessarily a new way of thinking, but it basically all boils down to calories and carbohydrates. So it's people who would love to drink beer all night long, but due to concerns about the waistline, start off with a couple of beers and then finish the evening with hard seltzers. And come to realize this is a very common um, scenario with people in their you know, mid twenties to mid thirties in particular. So we knew it was there to stay, but we weren't gonna jump into the market with the status quo product. We wanted to have a, a real point of difference with our version. And that real point of difference for us is using real fruit juice. If you've ever tasted, you know, one of the leading brands, and I don't think I need to name names, mm -hmm they first of all you pour it into a glass it looks like carbonated water it's crystal clear there's no color to it and you know the can will say big letters whatever the uh the fruit flavor of that du jour is supposed to be you don't see any evidence of it you don't see the color you know if something says you know black cherry you'd expect to see some color to it but you don't and uh, i'm more reminded of you know cough medicine or cough drop, something that is, you know, flavored with it, some sort of extractive and not the real thing. So we didn't want to be part of that. Uh, we wanted to have our own point of difference. So using real fruit was, was our point of difference. And once we uh, had a couple of prototypes and tasted them amongst ourselves, we, you know, we were convinced, okay, we're going to, this is going to be our version of hard seltzer. And so our brand name H2 Roads was, was born. And um, there were some challenges, challenges certainly in brewing and in, in making a product with real fruit that was, uh, you know, would last on the shelf and stay, stay, you know, stable on the shelf. Uh, but we've overcome those, those challenges and have what we feel is a really um, unique hard seltzer and you know I know there are people out there who are concerned about what they're putting in their bodies if you stop and think about it if you're going to drink one of the main competitors with sort of this mysterious quote-unquote natural flavor um, that doesn't taste natural at all you know can that be good for you to consume whereas real fruit is proven to be good for you it's it's you know has nutritional benefit so so that's all that's in our, our hard seltzers is fruit juice. And we have uh, four flavors, grapefruit, black cherry, uh, raspberry, and cranberry lime are the four that we do. And they use nothing but real fruit for flavorings. No preservatives, 
that's another thing that is possibly used in some of the bigger brands that doesn't have to be disclosed on the label are preservatives. So we don't have any of that in our product. So for people who care more about what they put into their bodies, um, our H2 Rhodes hard seltzers are, are the product for them. Well, I'm sold. And, and again, if people are drinking more than one a night, which they, which they are, that, that, that is even more evidence and um, that, that you should be drinking yours with the real fruit juice. For and sure. you, you pour it into a glass and you see the color. Okay, I have an expectation. Yes, raspberries are red. And yes, this product is red or pink. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's got the color of the fruit. So it's clear. It's a better choice. And it will definitely be out at the next company party. We have it on 24 seven. We <laughs> always have it available for sale. Okay, perfect. All right, so 2020 is almost behind us. Yay! Yes. Um, and we'll all be talking about our resolutions for 2021. Um, and so, you know, when you're thinking ahead, both professionally and even personally towards the new year, what are you thinking about in terms of your hopes and dreams? Well, you know, like everybody else, I, you know, wake up January 1st and say, I'm going to do less of this and less of that and uh, more of this, more of that. And, you know, it lasts for an indeterminate amount of time, but it doesn't last forever. Um, you know, I think, you know, we're talking about beer here. So uh, I know people do dry January and I applaud them for that. Um, but I, I think for me, and Americans sometimes they get frustrated. Americans are so um, extreme. It's all or nothing. I think there's plenty of room in between. I tend to like, uh, you know, take the lead from Europeans, you know, moderation. So um, funny you should ask, there's a brand of, there's an IPA that we do do called We Demon, which is a 95 calorie IPA. And um, we are starting a campaign called We Resolutions where you know, we encourage people to say, yes, you can still have your beer, but just has, have less of it or have a beer that has less calories and less carbohydrates, but still plenty of flavor. And that, that to me is, is a more realistic take on year's resolutions. Just, you know, moderation people, you know, you don't have to completely shut off the spigot, but just, uh, you know, you, you got to enjoy life too. And depriving yourself of things that are pleasurable is, I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> You know, there's an in-between. There's always an in-between between, between um, just, you, you know, enjoying yourself, living life, allowing yourself some indulgences, but just don't go crazy. So there's always the beer for that. Well, and you're making perfect sense. And, you know, that will inspire a lot of people that when you make smaller changes, they'll, they'll stay versus you're right, doing the extreme. And then, you know, a month later, exactly. they're more realistic. 90% of us resolution. So well said. All right, so my final question is, I invite all my guests to talk about how they would define a happy self, because of course this is called the Happy Self Podcast. So how would you define a happy self? Well, if I could steal some of the comments, I, a couple of the comments I just made, um, if you'd allow that, because uh, I, I think my version of happy self is, 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 Allowing yourself, like I just said, indulgences, you know, and, and we tend to use these dirty words, oh, that's an indulgence or that's a vice. 
Um, no, if it makes you happy, it's not, you know, it's, it, you just do things in a measured way. You know, it's not an all or nothing mentality. It's, I can have a little of this and it's okay. You know, it doesn't mean you have to have three times little or, you know, you can have a little bit of something. And again, we're talking about beer. We're talking about seltzers. We're talking about alcoholic beverages. They're shown to be health benefits in small, you know, with moderate intake. Problems come in for people who consume too much. So happy self is somebody who's balanced in their life, who, who allows themselves the quote unquote indulgences and doesn't uh, deprive themselves of the joys of life, which may or may not include consumption of alcoholic beverages. But that's part of my definition of happy self. No, I love it. I love, I love to it. drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, beer makes people happy. That's for sure. And uh, I can't wait to taste the hard seltzer to tell you the truth and uh, share it with all my friends. This has been an absolute joy talking to you. And I wish you a very happy new year. And I appreciate your time and your generosity in speaking with us. And um, hopefully I'll get up to the brewery soon. I hope so. And Tracy, thank you very much for the invite and for allowing me to participate. It's been a great discussion. I've enjoyed it. And um, hopefully we'll meet you in person someday. Absolutely. I'll knock on the door when I'm up there. Okay. All right. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thank you.